0: psalm 23 we're kind of detouring out of joshua briefly because uh with stephen uh spearheading that study for the most part i don't want to go a direction that he might not take it so with him being the point man on that study uh, i don't want to i don't want to step on his toes per se so I was working through some of these things in the course of conversation with preparing for this, my wife had suggested, Yeah, Psalm twenty three kind of fits what you're what you're talking about. I'm like, Okay. So I read through it and I'm I'm looking at it and I'm looking at where we're at in Joshua and I'm like, that does. That kinda of, that kinda of plays ball with where we're at. So um so walking with God, a personal testimony, your testimony ultimately and what can your testimony be? And I said, uh, and I put on here the balance: when to be a sheep and when to be a shepherd in your walk with God. And we're going to see that via David this morning, and we're going to tie it back to Joshua at the end here. So, anybody who's there, who could read, who can just go ahead and read off the whole thing, if I can get a volunteer for that, go ahead along. Thank you. Sometimes we're reading the Bible through in a year, or we're reading through Psalms, and we look at the book of Psalms, and the book of Psalms is like this, and you're like, I need to get through it in X amount of time. And you go through Psalm 23, and you go, oh, Psalm 23, I'm familiar with it, and you just kind of grease over it. Yeah, 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 the Lord is my shepherd, yeah, I shall not want you, know, you kind of go through it. So when I read this, I'm like, let's slow down, And walk through it and see how this all ties together. So, historically, verse one: "The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want." And this is again, you know, this is in the context of David putting us together. So, go to First Samuel 16. First Samuel 16. You have him saying this in verse 1 in Psalm 23, but when you go back to 1 Samuel 16, 19, verse 19, says, Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse, and said, Send me David thy son, which is with the sheep. So he's not even around here. And this is in the context of... uh, Saul and David's brothers are out on the battlefield, and they're fighting the Philistines. And this is actually, this is the first sending for David. This is the first time that he's requested, King Saul has requested that David that David come. But get this. So this is David's job as a youth, okay? He's a shepherd. So he's roughly your guys' age, maybe a little older. I'm not 100% sure at this time. And it's a significant job. He already understands at this young age, and granted, Old Testament economy was a lot different then. You learned to trade, you learned a skill, or you had to be a farmer, and you survived more. You know, there wasn't a lot of specific jobs like you have now if you get hired with a corporation or a school or, or whatever, or if you run a certain business. It's way different. You typically followed in whatever your family did. So, his job is a shepherd. So he understands already the responsibilities involved with moving this flock of sheep around as needed. And it's safe to say that none of us have ever done this as a as a first job. You know, I, I don't know of anybody who's I don't know of anybody who's been a farmer in their teenage years. We just don't live around that type. Maybe some of y'all down in down in Tus County, maybe you guys know some kids that are farmers. I'm assuming you probably do. It's more common down there, but it's a tough job and chances are they're not herding sheep. So we don't really understand the gravity of it and what's involved with it. So this is his first job. It's it's safe to assume. Despite his age, he has significant experience, and he's trusted by his father, Jesse, with this job, to perform this job unsupervised. Okay, So he's doing this job unsupervised. So in in verse 1, he references himself indirectly as a sheep himself, as the Lord is his shepherd, in this sense of his understanding of the job. But here in the devotional sense, discipleship, his relationship, this is deep, okay? It's in reference to his reverence and submissive heart toward God. Okay? So I'm studying this out. If you go to 1 Samuel 17. So there's a gap of time from when he goes the first time to when he comes back. So David returns to feed his sheep from the battlefield of the Philistines after seeing Saul and his brother. There's a 40-day gap, okay? So in verse 15 of chapter 17, it says, But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep, Bethlehem. So there's a 40-day gap. Goliath keeps hounding the Jews with threats and so forth. Jesse tells David to go back, he takes his supplies and checks on their state. sees how they're doing. verse 20 and David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took and went er, and took and went and Jesse had commanded him and he came to the, he, and he came to the trench as the host going forth to fight and shouted for the battle. so the shepherd the shepherd David has a keeper so we don't know who this keeper is they're not mentioned by name but it's obviously somebody else who works on their farm or whatever and it's somebody he can leave in charge while he goes up to the battlefront so that's kind of where where my personal devotion with this ties in you know Never in my walk haven't gotten saved some time ago would I have ever thought that I would be a keeper of sheep. And ultimately, Stephen, going on this missions trip along with the rest of the guys, there's only one person left who's going to be able to to teach or whatever. I mean, they probably could have found somebody to step in, but there's a lot of people that are busy in their own ministries. But ultimately, we were led to this ministry, and really what's contributed to me being able to be a keeper here has been a, has been doing three years of JBI that is absolutely crucial. There's no way that I would have been able to be up here and teach a le- teach lessons at this magnitude having not went through that training. That training is absolutely crucial. so any of you guys that are thinking about being teachers or any type of you know any type of profession where it involves public speaking or being in front of people, training is crucial. Getting up here and doing a cold turkey. Not easy and not advisable. So three years of training is definitely key. So obviously David has a guy that he's training, that he trained to be a keeper and a shepherd himself. So there's also, you also hear the term training the trainer over, you know, when you guys finally get jobs that are out there, you might be one of those people. You'll get trained and then you'll have to train others. And ultimately that's the picture of discipleship. So that's what he's got going on here. So... The other things that helped out with being able to be able to do this, my wife—I'm so thankful for having a Proverbs 31 virtuous woman. You know, it's there's a lot of aspects that go into being able to do to be able to teach, and I'm grateful to be able to have been trusted. You know, how many times Stephen reached out and asked how things were going up here? Maybe once, if that. I'm humbled by that. I'm thankful that he trusts me to be able to, you know, basically, step in and, and, and fill the gap until until he comes back, until all the guys come back. I'm humbled by that. I'm not being micromanaged. He's not texting me every day, "Hey, how's this going? Hey, can you, you know, hey, can you, you know, reach out to this group? Hey, can you do that?" There was a little bit of that, which is to be expected. He's he's the he's the, he's the pastor of this ministry, so that's you know he's got to lead that in that regard. So, so moving on from that, you know, number one, is the Lord your shepherd? Have you trusted him as your Savior? Are you really walking with him to have a trusting, leading, fellowship, relationship with him? And what matters of significance, like David's job as a shepherd, have you been entrusted with? Is there anything that you've been entrusted with yet at your age that's of significance you guys get your driver's license, you're entrusted with driving your car or your family's car, because chances are you don't have your own car yet. So you got to drive your mom's ride. So you might be, you, you're entrusted to not bring it back wrecked or whatever. It's significant. It's important. So that might be one thing. You guys might have certain jobs already. I know some of you guys are already working, and you're trusted to, to perform those jobs unsupervised and not be babysat all the time. What have you been entrusted with already? Spiritually, are you seeking something to be entrusted with that is of the Lord? Have you been discipled? Are you discipling anybody yet? These are all things that, that, tie, in, that tie in with this. Is the Lord your shepherd? All right, so verse 2. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. It says, the end of verse 1 says, I shall not want, going into verse 2. Therefore, you are submitting to God to make you and lead you. So, I want to show you this. Because I was studying this out. You guys all kind of, some of y'all already saw me set this up. But this is crazy. Come on, you can do it. This is where the actual visual comes into play. Oh, we got some nice chop going on. Those are all sheep. Those are all sheep and they're all being shipped, all being herded. And it's funny that they're being herded through a narrow gate. Those are familiar with the verses about the gate being narrow. In the New Testament, think things are running pretty slow. But I mean, I don't know how many. How many sheep do you think are there? 50. Fifty. But I mean, look, look at. Don't just don't just take notice of the sheep, but you got the narrow gate. But look at the look at the surroundings around it you got lush green fields. you got green pastures. That's actually probably a really pretty area. You can see there's a lot of valleys, hills. I mean, this is a legit. It's kind of grainy. It's kind of funky. I had it in a PowerPoint, but the, the, the resolution is really bad. It's a legit video. It looks kind of crummy on there. It's not a fake mock-up. It was, a, it was drone footage. I thought that was really cool because they move them all into different areas. But I was really taken with what the terrain looks like. You know, this is the area that they farm and they work. And obviously they herd sheep. Come on. So you got the lush pastures, you got a small pond in that video. This is the type of environment that David worked. Okay? This is what he got the saw got the got saw. Got to see on a daily basis. Now imagine when he was done. When he got done moving a herd of sheep. You got that's a lot of work moving that many, you know, that 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 many animals. And they were settled, they're grazing, and he moves up to a hilltop. He looks over them. Okay? But he's not just looking over the sheep, he sees the whole landscape. He sees the whole terrain. He sees all of that field. He sees all of those waters. He sees the whole night. That would be beautiful to work something like that. It would be hard work. There's no doubt about it. But that's a beautiful area. Wherever they're at. I have no idea where that area is at. It's probably not even in this country, I would guess. Maybe in Europe or somewhere. I don't know. But he sees all of this. The whole place, he takes it in. He stops for a moment. You'll have moments of rest in your job, and you have to stop, and you have to see where you're at. Are you in green pastures? Are you being led by still waters? Where are you at in your spiritual walk is the whole context of this in verse 2. When you read this and you slow down with it and 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 you take your time with it, He leadeth me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me behind still waters. Beside still waters. There's a peace there. He has a peace. There's a tranquility in what he's in what he's presenting. Do you guys have a place like that? Do you guys have a physical place that you're able to go to where you just get away and you're just kind of all in nature? It's just you, nobody else. You don't have a care in the world. This is you and the Lord, and you start thinking about these things. You're able to put everything else aside. Whatever you were stressing about, whatever your parents might have got on your case about, whatever you've been struggling with, are you able to put that out? Do you have a place where you go to that's just like this in verse 2? If you don't have a place like that, you need one. You need to find that place. It's critical in your walk, or you will get consumed. Everything will consume you, and I'm guilty. I've been consumed by this world at times. My wife knows that, and thankfully she holds me accountable with those things, and I don't want to hear them half the time. I just send her hand, okay. but I've got to get out of it. I've got to get away from those things and I've got to get into that verse 2 spot spiritually and physically. Strangely enough, for me, it's a golf course. I was sitting there for a while and I was thinking, where place have I had recently? Because it's been a while. When I was a kid, the place where I used to go to when I was living in Canton, I discovered it when I was allowed to ride my bike out around the neighborhoods. And... um up where 30th Street Plaza is, there's a marks there's a marks up there, and it it's actually you wouldn't know it, but it's actually one of the highest points in in Canton, in the Star County area. That's where we lived at. So I would ride my bike up Cromer, and then down 31st Street. 31st Street just did a giant U between Cromer and uh, 31st and 32nd Street, a transition in there. But at the tip, at the point of that, it was really cool because it overlooked the whole city. So I would ride my bike up there. There was no traffic. There was only houses around. And I remember riding my bike up there as a kid. And I would just sit there for a while and I would just look out over over the city. And it was a great time for all the things that were going on in my household at that time. That was my escape. That's where I could go to. Nobody else knew I was there. It was just me, my bike, and everything I could see. And mentally, it was a great escape, and I still remember that to this day. Strangely enough, now, as an adult, it's a golf course. You say, well, you're playing golf, you're competing against the guy you're with, you got guys behind you, guys got playing in front of you. I'm not talking right today. Just bear with me. I'm saying all kinds of weird words. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when nobody else is out there, late afternoon. It's just you and nobody else. And I love those times where I could just, you, would, you know, you would get done playing a hole and you would drive around to your next tee box and you'd be sitting there at the tee box. And I would just sit there for a while in the cart. And i just put my feet up on the dash and I'd put my hands behind my head and I would just suck it all in because there's nothing. It's dead quiet, maybe a bit of a breeze. You have a pond off to your right side as a water hazard, sand traps, maybe a heron that's in the pond. Clouds breezing by. Strangely enough, a golf course was my my escape. I didn't have to think about anything. It's one of the one of the most calmest times I could have. I know that there's stuff on my calendar when I get back to the office. I know what I have to do that evening. I know what needs to be fixed on my car. I know what I need to do with my kids for that evening or whatever events. There's always something. There's always going to be something. You're always going to be going to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. When do you stop? When do you go to your green pasture? When do you get beside the still waters? You've got to find that place. If you don't have it, you will go crazy. This world will consume you, your flesh will consume you, and the enemy will get a hold of you, and that will be it. And that's exactly what he wants from us as believers. It's 100%. Because the rest of this verse, the rest of this chapter, gets into the details of that. Verse 3. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. If you haven't turned back to Psalm 23, that's where I'm at. Sorry, I left you guys in 1 Samuel, I think. All part of this in verses 1 through 3, and 3a sums up what the result should be. He restoreth your soul. You have submitted to your shepherd. You submitted to Jesus Christ through letting him lead you to green pastures. I had to do that. You have to do that. And still waters. You need those times. To a spiritual place where you stop, put out the cares of this world for a summer time. Whatever it may be, whatever you have to come to this place, you have to come to a place of restoration. I'm thankful that our God is in the business of restoration. If He wasn't in the business of restoration, we're all finished. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have I mean, we have eternal life because of restoration. We have that because of the resurrection. I know these are all familiar things, but sometimes we've got to stop and let gravity pull us back down for a while. You've been beat up, you beat yourself up, but he maketh and leadeth us to this place where we put off this garbage can of a world, the bags that come with it. Why? The second part of this verse. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, this restoration of his righteousness. This is to be instilled with you for you to take the recognition of his work in your walk, this this recognition his righteousness restores your soul for his sake. okay? Because it's not of you. The Lord is my shepherd. He maketh me, he leadeth me, he restoreth my soul. All these things factor in. He leadeth me. It is his namesake, not ours. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. You don't have to go there for the sake of time. It says, Come unto me. This is, again, familiar verses. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my, verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. These are places where you have to get to. And ye shall find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The whole point of this lesson is to stop and analyze where you're at and analyze where you're going. This is where it ties back to Joshua. You guys have school coming around the corner. You know what's going to be expected of you. I know a lot of you push yourselves. Some of you push yourselves too hard. You got to figure out a balance. Some of you guys beat yourselves up on it. And when you do that, a lot of times self gets in the way. Because I do the same thing at work. Long durations of labor are cause for restoration. You know, I've shared already. I get worn down. I get beat up with these things. I get caught up in the responsibilities of the world, the I want versus the, you know, continuing to follow God's way. I want to do it my way. I need to do this. I need to do that. Instead of going, all right, Lord, where are you leading me to? Maybe he needs to lead you to a place of rest. Bless you. You know, maybe He needs to lead you in front of somebody who needs the gospel. Maybe He's leading you in front of... Who knows? You, know, you, you don't know where He's going to lead you, but are you open to where He's leading you to? It's about putting all these other things out. So why? Verses 1 through 3 sum up to where we're getting to in verses 4 and 5. The quality time you spend letting God lead you to green pastures and still waters, letting Him restore you... Lead you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake is for this. In your walk, after your rest and restoration, you will have to go back to the valley. Okay? But this is the quality time in this place. He's prepared you. Fear no evil. You know that God is with you. Okay? We know that he's with us. But do we embrace that? Have we taken the time out of this rest to embrace and know that he's with us? Because we gotta go back. Camp ends, you got to go back. You can't sit here and tell me that parts of your old life and parts of your flesh haven't creeped back in in the past seven weeks. I know you'd be lying because it's happened with me. I think we're all guilty of it. I'm just being honest. But he can prepare you in this place. You know that God is with you. And this rod and staff in the latter part of the verse, it's to protect you. It's to give you comfort. You can bear fruit that remains in the valley. I want to show you guys these. A lot of times we talk about the valley. Okay? Oh, this is different. (coughs) I set this up on Windows and then moved it to my Mac. Oh, that's awesome. It's not even in the same format. That's what I get. Anyway, when you look at this picture, it's a valley, right? That's typically what we see with a valley. It's kind of dark. You look at that road, it's got rocks all over it. It's a rough road, right? You would need a fairly substantial vehicle to get through there. At least that's how I think about the valley. I have to, oh I see a valley coming. This is what I see. A long, Hard road and nothing around you. The question is, does the valley have to be like that for us? And I never thought about that until I was putting this lesson together. So check this out. How about that valley? Ain't that beautiful? Look at the road. It's a gravel road. It's a gravel, winding, graded road you got lush greenery tons of trees how would you like waking up in the morning every morning walking outside and looking at that that ain't too bad of a valley to be in is it we got to go back through the valley the question is how's the valley gonna be after we've spent this time in the green pastures and still waters is it gonna be a long hard road or is it gonna be like that that is a choice that we can make it. Granted, some circumstances are difficult. And that's why this verse gets into what it gets into. It talks about the sh- the val- valleys of the shadows of death. Your circumstances may be out of your control. They may be deathly. You may get in a car wreck. You may be entrapped. I don't know. I've never been in a wreck of that significance. But I think about it. You can get on YouTube and watch whatever it is. Worst wrecks of 2019 and that. there's some of them. I'm like... It's crazy. There's one a semi runs over an entire car. The driver never even saw the car stop. Just right over top. He don't know if person died or not. It's crazy. You may have that. You may have significant consequences that you're wor- that you're working through. But the valley doesn't always have to be the long, hard, rocky road. We're in the valley with the closeness of God. This is what the valley can look like. Isaiah 26, 3 through 4. These are very common, very comforting verses that, you know, are often referenced when we are going through the valley. It says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Verse 4 oftentimes is left out. Trust ye in the Lord forever. Forever. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. This can be your testimony in the valley. It doesn't have to be doom and gloom. You're not going to be effective for the Lord. You're not going to have a solid testimony in the Lord if you're going through the valley and people don't see the hope that's in you. We're to to show that as Jesus was skin on, as ambassadors. And we can have that. We can have that when we spend this quality time getting restored and letting God restore us if we're submissive to let him lead us verse 5 goes back to being settled on your faith that we were working on in Joshua David had plenty of enemies you read that all through the Psalms we do too as believers being settled (coughs) excuse me and this verse is stating he David as believers we as believers we can have enemies encompass us and there will be days it's going to feel personal your faith is going to feel attacked. You yourself personally are going to feel attacked. It's going to happen. If it hasn't happened already, if you haven't experienced it. The day's coming. You're going to have one of those, the, the day's just, it's going to suck. And there's nothing you can do about it. Whatever the circumstance may be. A lot of times for me it's work. But your testimony doesn't have to be that. Be that way. You know, I think about, Rufus and the uh, pastor Rufus in the valley that he went through with losing the ability to walk. He couldn't walk at all. He could have been woe as me. He could have been dark. He could have just sat at these rehab centers and not said a word. And said, He witnessed to the nurses, he witnessed to the people that were there. He shared the gospel with countless people. He's obedient in what he had to do because of his fellowship and relationship with the Lord. And what happened? His movement was restored, and he goes to London two years in a row. There's tons of walking with London. We walked a ton. He even said this trip we didn't walk as much because of the rain. But God restored his ability to do that because he's not done with him yet. And he went out there, and he set the world on fire for the gospel in a, hard, in a hard land. It was awesome to see. That's his testimony. He went through this valley, but his valley looked like that. Because that's how he chose it to be, because of his relationship with God. I think about Josie Blake. She's going through something right now none of us can even imagine. I can't put myself there. I lost a cousin in 1991 who was 11 years old to leukemia. And I was a foolish young boy at that time. I really had no idea the gravity of what was going on. I look back on it now and it's significant. I can't put myself in his shoes. I can't put myself in her shoes. We need to be sympathetic toward that and understand the valley that they're going through. And you had heard some of her testimony at camp. She's found the greenery in her valley. Maybe not all the time, but she's got a testimony that some of it's there. I don't know personally, so I can't say for sure. So you can have peace regardless of what you're facing, but oftentimes we choose not to. Verse six. Verse six is the sum of the whole chapter, and this is where we're going to close it out. Go to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. See, I can't talk today. What is it with me? I keep saying I'm Ecclesiastes. Yeah, you can go to Ecclesiastes. Yeah. G- ghetto Bible. You got your ghetto version. What's your ghetto Bible. Jeez, I don't know. I just can't talk this morning. I'm sorry. The book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12. Jeez. This is what it boils down to. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments For this is the whole duty of man. This is coming from the wisest man next to Jesus Christ that ever walked the earth. Women, wives ruined this guy. And he penned this book that all is vanity. This guy had all of it. He had the most spiritual high to the most spiritual low. And this is toward the close out of this book, and this is what he writes. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. This is where you can settle on goodness and mercy in our relationship with him daily, but also our eternity as well. When you look at verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. It's while you're here. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So whether your valley's dark or your valley's lush, if you've trusted Christ personally, that's where you're going to dwell. There's a great peace in knowing that. But you've got to go through life daily. It's a matter of how you're going to do it. So this verse sums it all up. If you're saved, we put the you put put we put into practice verses one through one through three via our submission, that we may walk through all the valleys of life and have peace. And verses four and five and verse six is our finish line. Not just mercy and goodness all the days of our lives, but for eternity. I can't drive that point home enough. You can have a great peace about that, and on top of that, that's shareable when you're when you're witnessing with people. They can have hope there's hope in our eternal life, otherwise, what are we doing here? If we're not able to share that with people what's you know, we should have a burden for we should have a burden for that so tying this back into dot Joshua it's so our test you know our boiling it back down to the fundamentals that we're working on in there. Through Joshua's salvation, taking stock of our past, our present, our future, building the foundations. So if you're building all these foundations out now, you can get to this spot in Psalm twenty three. You can be, you can have that fellowship with God. You can have that restoration. You can be in the you can be in this spot. The question is, are we going there? These things will help build your strength and they'll help build your character. And they're an absolute necessity, and you guys are at a perfect time right now in your age to be working on them. If you can get settled on your faith and your walk in the Lord and be daily with it, you are going to be light years ahead ready for, the, for, for life. You guys are an amazing spot. I'm grateful to be able to teach these things, and really it's the Word of God. It's not me. I don't ever want. We these leaders don't want you guys to look at us and be like, "Wow, they're so special." I ain't special. I'm a sinner. I'm just being obedient. The Lord's put it on my heart to teach your guys his age range, and I need to be obedient to do that. It's all it boils down to. The question is, what's the Lord going to work on you guys about? Where are you going to be obedient in? At, at your age right now. So that's our lesson on on Psalm 23. Um, real quick, the the question was posed Wednesday night about kissing before marriage, and when I reflected upon that, I don't feel that I gave. <laughs> it was a long answer, and I really focused on what was what first happened with the nakedness between uh, Adam and Eve and God, and the and, and the introduction of sin not knowing they were naked until they became aware of good and evil after eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I tied that together. But the person asked the question, their, their, their conviction is not to kiss before marriage. And they've gotten flack from the world about it. Why not? So really the question that they should ask to anybody else would be point out something good with it. Tell me something good that comes out of it because one kiss leads to more touching leads to more fornication leads to making a decision and committing an act that you're most likely going to have a regret about the first times for these things when it comes to relationships and the physical aspects of relationships especially outside the bond of marriage you'll end up regretting it and I will just tell you that now And I will tell you that from experience. That is why this book is clear that it's between the husband and the wife. So, why don't you want to kiss before you get married? Don't you want to get to know the person? Don't you want to live with them first? Find out if they're a slob? Find out if they're bad with bunny or any of that? Well, first off, they're looking at it through the world's eyes and not God's eyes. If you're looking through the aspect of relationships through God's eyes, you already know that you want to keep yourself pure. And if you haven't, you've confessed about it and you've restored yourself with the Lord, and you're going to going forward. The question is, what's right with it? You keep yourself pure, it makes that relationship within the bond of marriage even more amazing when you finally do get married. And that's a fact. So that's what I got. I volunteer to pray to close us out. You prayed Wednesday. Sorry, I'm so- I'm, I am selective. It's okay. I got a few minutes. I can wait. Timmy, go ahead.